On today's Manager Interview Insights, we're joined by Taz. Taz is the new head of sales at Sedna Systems after three years as a regional sales manager at Pecon, who were acquired by Workday. Taz shares a huge amount of insight today around how he builds team cultures as well as forecasting and setting expectations to managers and leaders above him. This podcast is part of the wider Manager Interview Insights series by 10x Managers. Go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up to get access to the learning written summary and all resources related to today's conversation. I really hope you enjoyed today's interview, but most importantly, you go away and take action. So Taz, what do you see as the role of a manager? That's a really good question. So I think the role of a manager is threefold. And, and I always talk about a manager's focus being people, process and pipeline. And, and really a manager's role is there to, to mentor, to coach, but also to lead his, her, their team and really be that resource for your people. I think if you look at the the world of sales, the world of SaaS, it's a very small world. You and I know each other from a previous life. Some of your former interviewees, some of your um, upcoming interviewees know each other from previous lives. And I think actually SaaS sales is really quite small. And actually being that mentor, being that coach, imparting your experience, but helping people grow and develop into their roles will set you up for success as a manager. And that really is what I view a viewer manager's role as. Nice. Interesting. You mentioned people process pipeline as well. So I was actually speaking yes. to uh, a guy called Yaz Paptani, who's a CTO at a company called Pat. And being a CTO, he speaks about people process technology. So very similar. Would you say people process pipeline in that order? Or are they all equal? It's a formula. And, and it's something that my my mentor has imparted into me. I've uh, absorbed through shit like osmosis and just spending time with him. But I think if you have the right people, if you look at the values that you hire on, the, the kind of the fundamental principles of, of good salespeople is, is loyalty, attitude, tenacity. If you have people that have that, the rest you can build, the rest you can coach, the rest you can develop. If you have the good people, but you don't have the good processes, you're not going to get the pipeline. So I do think investing in your people is the fundamental. Once you've done that, you can then start building out the, the, the processes and making sure that they are fit for purpose. As an organization scales, you've got to really go through this iterative process of, I'm going to say process quite a lot. You've got to go through this kind of iterative um, process of really looking at your tech stack, looking at your sales process, looking at the resources your salespeople use. Is it making them successful? Is it helping them work smarter? Is it actually creating that scalable, repeatable revenue model and, and sales process that you're looking for? Um, and a result of both of those things is pipeline. If you have the good people, if you have the right processes, the pipeline will come. So I would say people and process pretty much on a par. You, you can't have one without the other. You can have great processes, but bad people, so it's not really effective. You can have great people, but no processes, so it's not effective. And pipelines the net and the gross result. No, nice. I, I like it. I think it's a good way to summarise it. Okay, it sounds good. So let, let's talk about yourself, Taz, and some of the yeah. experiences that you've had. Obviously, you've held a few great sales roles and then a few great uh, sales leadership roles as well. Talk to me about some of the superpowers that you hold, some of the things that you believe you're great. I think people that know me watching this will probably giggle because I, in my previous role, was very excited about the fact that I'm a great single-digit forecaster. I think as a sales leader, forecasting is something that you're just expected to know and certainly when you make that transition from account executive to, to sales leadership you think oh you know I, I nailed my forecast I hit every month I hit every quarter I'm, I'm going to be brilliant at this but then all of a sudden you've got a much bigger number and you've got so many moving parts and 
sometimes you're in control of it sometimes you're not sometimes you get thrown a curveball so my superpower would be would be forecasting and really understanding where my team's business is coming from and then having the ability to, to set expectations to my leadership chain so really saying to my vp of sales i know i will bet my mortgage on our commit but i also know that we've got this many deals in best case and i can move 50 percent of them in by the next week and, and really setting those expectations. And I think, again, if you move into A series, B series, C, organizations that are really rapidly scaling, being able to forecast, being able to actually set those expectations at a senior leadership level for your business will really set you ahead and shoulders above other leaders within the marketplace. So that, that would be one. I think the second would be team culture. My, my previous role at Pecon, I was known as the sales leader for mid-market nation. I built an identity. I got the team to rally behind that identity. And again, sales is a really tough role. A world-class salesperson has a 33.3% conversion rate from disco to close. That means that 70% of the time, give or take, my maths was obviously really bad there, but 66.6% of the time, they're getting, and they've got to show that resilience. They've got to be able to get up the next day and really put the game face on, get back into that process and try again. Now, doing that on your own, doing that in a silo, makes it really difficult but if you've got a strong team culture if you have a culture of collaboration if you have an identity a a set of values or an ethos that your team really relates to you find that actually you win as a team you lose as a team and and collaboration is huge you're you're there to pick these people up really pipe them up but they've also got their teammates they have people in the same position as them that they can go to for advice so those would be my two forecasting and culture building Nice. Well, there's plenty to unpack there as well. So let, let, let's yeah. deal with it a little bit at a time. So let's start with uh, forecasting. So obviously very sales specific, but talk to mm-hmm. me about the, the secrets behind forecasting. That's a really good question. And I'm going to try and be concise because I could, I could go on <laughs> until the cows come home about this. I think that the, the secrets behind forecasting is to really be honest and truthful with yourself. Mm-hmm. I think everyone falls into the trap of getting happy ears. Mm-hmm. And everyone has this bluebird deal or this whale of an opportunity that will come into your pipeline and you think gosh if we get this in I've, I've hit my quarter I've hit my year people's names are going to be up in lights and, and you become fixated on that opportunity you don't really look at all of the other moving parts you don't really look at everything else that's happening within the wider team within your wider kind of pipeline and I think having that ability to communicate I guess healthy optimism amongst your reps will, will, will pay off wonders and, and, and will really reap rewards, but also being able to actually shave a little bit off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people call it under-promising and over-delivering. Mm-hmm. I, I just call it realism. If, if there are five opportunities in commit and there's a slight risk with one of them, forecast four, flag the risk on the fifth one, move that perhaps into your management forecast, into your best case, because you know that there's an opportunity or there's a chance that it could slip or it could push to the next month or the next quarter. Um, and really understand the weighting of your sales process. So if you've got a, a demo stage within your sales process, some people call it aligning expectations, some people call it solution design, whatever that stage is called, and you've got a rep that's committing that to come in at the end of the month and it's the 15th of the month, have the confidence to say, is this really going to come in? What is your mm-hmm. process? How are you going to do this? Um, and really devote some time to, to unpacking that. So mm-hmm. again, don't just base your forecast off, um, off your weekly forecast call where the reps give you their numbers. Hold deal reviews, hold war rooms, make sure that you're actually dissecting every element of that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and within reason, know the deals inside and out. Some of the people watching this probably have a number of direct reports. If you do, 
you might want to have a conversation about getting a team lead to free up some of your time to do that. But if you've got a team of seven, eight, nine, ten, you do have the time to to really get into the weeds and make sure that you're getting to know those opportunities. The bonuses, everything, the risks, you're well aware of when it will come in, how it will come in, what it's going to be signed on. But also it's a great coaching opportunity as well. Mm. And I think if you instill that within your team, they'll know your non-negotiables, they know what you're looking for. And they'll be better able to actually forecast accurately to you. So there'll be less, is this real? Is this going to happen? It'll be great. Okay, it's in that stage. You've put it there. Brilliant. It makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think what one thing that's particularly interesting and actually widens it past the, the, the sales context as well is obviously one of the biggest challenges with forecasting is the people beneath you have mm-hmm. to first forecast to you. And we've all been there where maybe one month or one quarter, you don't quite have the pipeline or the deals that you should have how do you communicate and work with those individuals to give them the confidence to give you an accurate reflection on forecasting rather than trying to give you the optimistic view um it's all about pipeline distribution right and and i think a number of organizations measure targets in in various different ways right ultimately you have a yearly number and you have a yearly quota and i think the the one thing that i try to instill in any rep that is on my team is that if you have a bad month that's fine, but, but show me what you're doing to make sure that the next month is even better or the next quarter is even better than that month. Mm-hmm. Show me your pipeline distribution. Show me that your business, show me that you, where the money's coming from. And that will instill a hell of a lot more confidence in your sales leader as opposed to getting happy as clinging. One of my bugbears are, are reps that move opportunities from month to month mm-hmm. to month to month saying it will come in, it will come in, it will come in, right? If you have that visibility of your business, of your year, of your quarter, and you're able to say, nothing's going to close in November, but I know in December, X, mm-hmm. Y, Z deal will come in. And these are the reasons why. Great. Don't, don't, don't fluff. Don't blag. Don't pretend that there are opportunities. That, that don't cling on to dead opportunities. Just have that open, honest and frank conversation with your leader to say, these are the issues. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is if you're, if you're in a rut, if you're in a bit of a, a dip, everyone goes through them, communicate that to your manager as well, because they want you to be successful. Their job is not just to present a forecast. Their job mm-hmm. is to coach you, to develop you, to make sure that you have the tools, the skill, the drive to hit that number. And if one of those things isn't working, let's talk about it. Let's try. No, it's interesting. And uh, the next question I was going to ask, actually, you've probably already partly answered in that answer itself. But obviously, the next part of forecasting is then you need to deliver that upwards. So you need to mm-hmm. deliver progress. You need to deliver how we're actually tracking. Yeah. And again, it's applicable to, to all domains as well. It's track reporting on where they are on KPIs and OKRs yeah. and all those sorts of things. Um, talk to me a bit about times when maybe you have been behind forecast or you're not necessarily delivering the best news that your leader is going to want to hear. What are you doing in those situations? Yeah, it's a really good, really good question. It's something that I struggled with in the early days of leadership. And I remember saying to my CRO at the time, he trust me, we'll hit the number at the end of the quarter. We won't get the deals in this month. And he said, how? And I just said, I just know. I have that <laughs> feeling. And he said to me, don't, tr- your gut might be telling you that you hit that number because you are in the trenches with your people you know what they're doing where they're going with these opportunities but really look at the data and look at and and again it comes down to pipeline distribution so one of the things that i would do in a quarter where we've perhaps had a slow start in the first couple of months if we're in the middle of that quarter if we're in month number two and we're still not closing the deals that we need to but i know that we're going to hit it because 
all of our deals are, are, are weighted toward the end of the quarter, I show him my pipeline distribution, go through the mutual close plans if we need to. I make sure that the 50K plus deals in my pipeline have exact support, either myself, my manager, CRO, CTO, CIO, CEO, anyone that you can get onto that to ensure that they feel loved, they've got that senior sponsorship within the business, and we can have that CEO to CEO connection if we need it. The other thing I look at is pipeline distribution. So how many opportunities do I have at solution design, negotiation, red lines? How many do I have in pitch proposal? What are the timelines? What are the close dates? So really understanding the data and again, just presenting a joined up picture of where your business is coming from, the reasons why, the risks and how you're going to get there has helped me in the past really illustrate this is why I'm going to get Mm. to my number. This is why I'm going to hit my quarter. And actually as a leader, as a rep, if you have that image and you have that visibility, you're better able to communicate your own personal pipeline, your own forecast as well, because you have the data that your line manager needs. Mm-hmm. Does, that make, does that make sense? It does. And actually leads on to another point that I know a lot of people um, complain about and struggle with, and it's having access to data and being able to leverage data. Now I'm asking this because I actually know you've done some good work here, but I think a lot of managers and a lot of leaders when they see bad data or not enough data or they don't have access to data, they use it as a problem rather than fixing it. What sort of things can you do as a leader and have you done as a leader to make sure that you have access to the right sort of data and the right sort of information to be able to communicate those messages? Yeah, again, really good question. And I think there's a couple of things. If we were to get sales leaders, reps into a room, I think one of the gripes that everyone would have would be CRM data, whether it's a well-known CRM that perhaps has a tower in the centre of London or a another CRM salespeople traditionally don't like filling out CRMs because it's extra work they're mm-hmm. already having to take notes on the call they're presenting they're doing a demo they're making sure that they get this mutual plan they're thinking about the other people that they can bring in if they need to involve their solutions engineers if they need to involve their legal team who do they need to talk to in IT security etc right? so there's so much going on and then all of a sudden you've got a put it into Salesforce, log your activities, do this. I think one of the things you can do as a leader to bridge that data gap is make sure that you have a standardized set of reports that you use across your team. So every one-to-one, every interaction that I have with my team about their deals, about their pipeline, about their opportunities, there is a Salesforce report that they can filter that will provide them with that baseline of data. Yes, it's a bit of work for the sales leader, but work with your sales ops, with your rev ops teams to make sure that you have that right reporting structure that you need. Now, some organizations, I've been fortunate to work for a couple, go above and beyond and they import that into uh, Microsoft BI or Tableau, and you're able to then see some really Gucci stuff around kind of velocity, conversion rates, et cetera. But make sure you as a leader understand what you need to present. Now, as a a sales leader, you will have to present probably in a QBR. What are the things that people care about? The length of time deals are in each stage, the conversion or the velocity between each stages, your conversion between your initial qualification to discovery and your conversions from discovery to close. If you're able to articulate those four points really clearly, you've got a great handle on your pipeline and the speed at which a deal travels through. You can go one step further and you can get your reps to actually understand how many calls does it take to actually book that initial intro? How many outreaches does it take to actually book that initial call? So you can really start getting granular in the data 
and start setting those team level KPIs. And this forms part of those non-negotiables that you need to set with your team. And then in terms of other data points for your forecast, it's really looking at your, your kind of pipeline multiple. So again, applying the simple logic, if 30% of deals close from discovery, you need 3x of your quota for that particular month, quarter, or year in your pipeline. Do you have that? If you don't, what are you doing to push the gap? For some of my teams, it's what percentage of that total pipeline is your own self-check? What percentage of that comes from SDR efforts? What percentage of that comes from marketing team events, et cetera? And again, just making sure that you have those data points, those reports in a master list or in an area in Salesforce that your team has access to will really help. And I think going back to your question, a lot of people saying that they don't know where to start and it's a problem. It's because they're kept in management folders or they're kept in teams folders and there isn't that consistency throughout that reporting chain mm-hmm. no that's great mate. I think that's really good advice now, let's pivot on to the second point that you mentioned now in terms of culture creation obviously it's important for all managers and all leaders to be able to create yeah. a culture that motivates inspires makes people excited to come to work and fulfill their jobs I'll unpack that a little bit for us then so you, you mentioned that the brand that you created what what, what else have you done in there yeah, so it's 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 basically looking at the formation of a team. So obviously that 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 forming, storming, norming, performing, and then ultimately mourning when people when people exit the team. But really understanding where your team is throughout that process. As a new leader, as somebody that's recently promoted into a role, I'm talking from experience. I'm four days into a new sales role. Right? You, your team will storm. They will think, well, "Who is this new person?" I've spent you know all of this time building up my credibility with my former manager. Now he, she, they have left or they've been promoted and actually I still want to work with them. So creating a team vision, creating an identity that the team can hopefully unite behind is really key. And over the first kind of 90 days, that's a lot of observation. It's understanding which processes work. It's understanding how your people work, but it's also giving your team the opportunity to say, this is how I like to be managed. This is how I want to work with you and trialing that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it doesn't and you've got to go in and you've got to maybe pivot that individual and say, actually, this is the way that I think we could work together. Or this is the way that I as a leader can benefit you in terms of your professional development, in terms of helping you progress deals, in terms of helping you close those deals. So having that kind of culture, that vision acts as that that kind of uniting element of that team. Mm -hmm. And as they start to form and they start to actually learn to work together, to work with you and to work within the parameters that you as a manager set, they have this unique ability to really start to represent your team and mm-hmm. start to really rally behind some of the kind of the, the values and the ethos that you've got in place. And I think creating a team name, creating a team culture, it's prevalent in a number of large um, American headquartered enterprise organizations because there are so many people and you need to actually create that identity so that those mm-hmm. people get that recognition. And again, within scaling organizations, high growth, fast growth tech companies, actually, there is a lot of noise and there is a lot of chaos. And if you create that identity, that umbrella for people to actually unite, it's quite a powerful tool because that's what those people will get known for. If they bring on a a, a massive deal, Josh's jumping salespeople will get recognized as the people or the team that have done that really bad name there apologies but you get my gist some of the other things that that, that we i've done and, and 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 really focused on is humanizing the role of manager i think 
again, certainly when I started in sales, I'd, I'd never dream of beating my manager at go-karting. And I always tell my team that I'd come last on purpose. But do you know what I mean? Breaking down those barriers and actually relaxing with the team. I, I've, when I started my career in sales, had some great managers, but it was very much where well, we would go out as the managers and you go out as the reps. Mm. And at Christmas, maybe, sales kickoff, we'd all, we'd all socialise together. But actually letting them see you in a non-work sense letting them connect mm. with you on an individual level and, and really getting to know your people create a culture where they know you create a culture where they can actually connect with an element of your leadership style an element of your personality and have this belief that you have their best interests at heart and mm. i think one of the ways that, that i've been able to do that is really making sure that we we hold some really good team building events taking them go-karting losing on purpose that type of stuff i think would be just a, a good way to have some fun with your team you don't have to go to the pub and down pints or drink lots and lots of wine to to have a good time and i think mm. actually taking the time to really consider it's, it's the eq elements right it's taking the time to really consider activities events team building exercises that will resonate with each member of your team and each member of that team and and, and ensure that they have a, a really good time I think one of the other things that I've done, I stole from a previous company I worked at was quarterly business, getting the team at your house, at a venue, and really just locking yourselves in and learning about what motivates each of you, what you want to be known for that quarter, that year, how you're going to do that, where your gaps are, where you need help from the team, and really essentially opening up the channels of communication. Mm. And I think, again, as we have this kind of new generation of sales managers, that's the differentiating factor. It's not the top-down approach. It's very collaborative. It is ensuring that everyone in your team has a voice, but it's ensuring that you take those individual voices and you as a coach and as a mentor kind of mould and guide them and point them in the right direction. Now, that could be pointing them towards a repeatable sales process. It could be pointing them towards an element of that sales process that they need to focus on a little bit more, that they need some more development in. But by creating that strong culture, by breaking down those barriers by actually creating environments where you can have those one-to-one -one conversations and listen to those individuals, you're going to set yourself up for success. I think that's really interesting. I think a, a lot of managers um, that I speak to almost forget about this part of the role that they can do. So I think a lot of people see themselves as having to continue the company culture and the values that are set by the company. And obviously, whilst that's important, what I really like about what you're saying is you're almost creating a micro identity mm -hmm. within the full entity so that people can unite around that team vision and around you essentially as the leader of that as well. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. No, sorry, go on, Matt. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say, how important do you think it is that that sub-identity still links in with the overall company culture and organisation uh, value so you don't end up as an island in a silo? It's incredibly important. There's no point if one of your if one of your company values is transparency and we, we, we have data integrity and all of this stuff and, and you run your team as well, we'll have transparency in the team. I won't tell anyone how that works or what that means or how I get that data. That's not going to work. And I think these organisations are all rushing or moving towards a common goal. And if you don't use those overarching values, those, those company values to bind your team together to move in the right direction, then your team will ultimately fail. You'll have great fun and there'll be some great socials, but you won't have a job because you missed your targets. You're not doing the right stuff. So I think actually your team values, your team culture must 100% sit within that the ethos and the culture of the business. And I suppose building on that as well, obviously 
again, one of your big focuses is very clear is that you're getting your team to support you in building that identity mm -hmm. and getting them to essentially buy into it because they're co-creating and co-designing it. Are you, doing anything, are you doing anything in terms of ensuring you get buy-in from above and around as well? Absolutely. And I think, again, as a leader, one of the things that, that, that you should assess as part of the interview process, as part of those initial conversations with your line manager is, this is my vision. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take on this revenue number. This is how I'd like to work my team. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And I always, I don't, I never rock the boat before getting buy-in from my leader. Because mm -hmm. again, you could... I, I could go and conquer Rome and, and my boss, so actually we wanted to do that next week. So could we step back a little bit, focus on this and then go and conquer Rome? Yeah. Having that buy-in is really important and also actually presenting why you think it's important to do that particular thing with your team, or implement that particular initiative. And again, it goes back to what we were saying around forecasting, right? Have the data to back it up. This is why I'm doing it. This is the data that backs up that, that decision. And in six months' time, these are the proposed results. And it really relates to anything that you do as a leader. And again, it's one of the things that I learned very early on when I was in charge of a spiff. It was a very complicated spiff. It was like, play your cards right at Christmas. And I was having, I loved being my company's equivalent to Bruce Forsyth, going around, giving out presents. It's a great feeling to see your people be successful and win. But I then had to present to the business in our Q1 QBR, how much did we spend? How much pipeline closed? what closed last year what was the benefit and again it's something that i didn't really think about before i decided to do this spiff and fortunately we closed a hell of a lot more a hell of a lot quicker than we did the previous quarter and and the, the previous quarter the previous year but again just make sure that you have that data set make sure you have that logic and that that kind of trail of thinking in in your head before you go and do these things no. Final question on culture, because I think mm -hmm. the term culture can also be a big black hole in itself. Oh, absolutely. Um, what do you count as creating culture? So we've mentioned a lot of things here. We've mentioned vision. We've mentioned team identity, values. Have you got a list of things that you think about when building culture? Short answer, no. Long answer, I probably should. I think I, I, live, I live my life with this kind of mantra of people process pipeline. And I think culture feeds into every single element of that. Mm. I think culture and people, you want your team to be known in the business mm -hmm. for the right reasons. You want it to be a team where people realize you do a, you do a tough job, but they love being in your team. Mm -hmm. They love the support that you give as a manager. They love the coaching, the development that they get from you as a manager. They, they love the fact that they have the, the freedom to actually learn their trade, to master their craft and really develop as individuals. Um, but also, I think one of the biggest compliments any sales leader can have is that your SDRs want to join your team. Your SDRs want to get promoted up. They want to be they want to be AEs. And typically, SDRs are some of the, the most hungry salespeople and the most ambitious salespeople I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And actually, having them come to you as a manager and say, "How do I get into your team? What do I need mm -hmm. to do?" is a huge compliment. But again, it's that litmus test of you're building a great culture. You're building a a, a culture within the business of, of success and of excellence and people want to be part of that which is fantastic i think culture and process is a huge thing as well we've spoken about data integrity we've spoken about just knowing your business and i think again culture also reflects the kind of the behaviors your mentality the way that you actually handle the processes as well and the way that you set those processes up the way they're communicated the way that they the way that they happen obviously but is a behemoth right it could be early stage pipeline it could be closing deals but the way that you celebrate deals the way that you actually celebrate 
success, the way that you encourage people to show the love to their prospects, to their clients, to their the installed base in the business, it all stems from this concept of, of culture and what your people want to be known for and what your team wants to be known for. So I think I don't have a list. I should have a list. Maybe we can do this again in a few months and I might have a list. But, but I do think it touches every element of kind of that people process pipeline mantra. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Okay, so we've actually spoken about that for quite a while now. Let's move on and let's just talk about one point here. So looking back at your career in management leadership, can you identify the biggest challenge you faced? Yeah, I think we were talking about it whilst I was I was sorting the puppy out when I just joined the call. I think it's knowing when to step back. It's knowing when to, to action stuff. And I think I've been fortunate over, over the last kind of four and a half, five years to have a, a couple of management roles. And I think the biggest thing that any management training any type of leadership training will tell you is is moving from an individual contributor to management role there is this tendency for the first few months to become a super AE Mm -hmm. and have this desire to change the world and the Mm -hmm. way that your team works from day one and I think the biggest challenge for me certainly within my first ever leadership role was stepping back Mm -hmm. stepping back and and just letting people make mistakes Mm -hmm. letting those people come to you and say I've made this mistake, now I need your help, rather than going in and be like, oh, I've done this before, I I know what you should do, let me get involved, and then just taking it in. You're not coaching, you're not teaching, you're not developing, you're just strong-arming your reps out of the way and running their deals for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that the biggest thing I've learned is that in order to coach, in order to develop, and in order to mentor your people, you need to step back. You need mm-hmm. to watch from the sidelines and you need to wait for them to raise the flag to say I need help Mm. or to say I've got this problem how would you solve it what would you do Mm. let's do a deal review let's do a war room let's dissect this and it was the biggest learning curve it was my biggest failure as a manager and I learned quickly Mm. I learned quickly and and trusted my instincts and hopefully it's put me in good stead but what's the impact of not stepping back I think the impact of not stepping back is you undo everything that we've spoken about right you could spend hours and hours strategizing what you want your team to be known for, how you want to forecast the processes you want to put in place, the way that you want to run your element of the business. But if you don't let your people action some of the initiatives you've put in place, ultimately you're, you're going to drop the ball as a leader. Mm-hmm. Your people aren't going to feel that they're getting the support that they need from you. And essentially you're, you're going to burn yourself out because You've got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten heads to look after. That's a number of different quotas. That's a number of different moving parts. But if you're running every single one of their deals, mm. you're not going to have time to, to do your mm. own stuff and to do your own reporting. And ultimately, a burnout manager's probably as, as useful as a chocolate teapot. You're not going to be you're not going to be effective. Your team's not going to succeed. And that's how you get that that attrition and that churn within your so when you are really tight on a deadline quarter close a is really struggling but they've got a great day in front of them do you step in then or is it a principle where you just can't step in because that sets precedent if they've got a really great deal and they're struggling you need to understand why mm-hmm. you, you need to ask why you can't just say oh, i'm going to run this deal mate and, and run it for them they, there could be a blocker there could be a roadblock there could be another element either on, on our side of the business or their side of the business that's stalling this opportunity if they're at that point where it's a deal for that quarter. There's the ability, the propensity for that, that deal to close. 
work backwards. What are the steps that it's, it's, it's like I'm telling people how to suck eggs here and I apologize, but what are the steps we need to go through to get that deal to close? Where are we stuck? Why are we stuck? How can you as a manager help that rep and stick it? Because that rep next quarter, if they be in a similar situation, because you've stepped, they've, oh gosh, no, my manager will sort this out. And ultimately mm-hmm. you're closing their deal. So that you're not developing them. They're not learning yeah. how to deal with that. And mm-hmm. I, I always liken myself to them in, in the air or behind the shoulder saying, right, now do this, now do that. Mm-hmm. And once you've done that, take the time to go through it with them and actually help them see why you recommended doing that, what mm-hmm. the effect of that action was, and, and actually next opportunity, how are they going to implement the process that you've just gone through? Because then you, you start to reinforce it and you start to upskill your people to, to really be efficient and better closers. Yeah, and it goes all the way back to your people process pipeline in by taking a step back and supporting them. One, you're then firstly developing your people so they're better yeah. next time. You can also reflect on the process to see whether you can remove those roadblocks in the process so in the future they're not there. Whereas by stepping in, you're eliminating all of that and the team's not going forward. Absolutely. And it's your personal brand as well. As much as... And again, many first-time managers will probably feel this. The first ever team that you manage, you never forget. And they become similar to your babies. You feel very protective of them. That team isn't going to be attached to you. You're not going to be joined at the hip for the rest of your careers. And they will go on to do some amazing things. They'll do bigger things. They'll maybe move into management themselves. And your coaching, your development, the, the wisdom that you impart in these sales processes if it's good, it will stick with them. Uh-huh. And, and they will, as I have done, refer to, oh, I had a sales director or a sales manager in a previous role, in a previous life that did X, Y, Z. Uh-huh. So again, it's just something that always sticks in the back of my mind. I don't want to send bad salespeople out into the ether, out into the world, out into the, the SaaS tech world. I always want to send my people back out into the world a little bit better if not infinitely better than they were and and i will happily stand up and take the credit and be like yeah that that was my process that they've they've now dragged and dropped into their new business and i feel proud of that i won't put it on linkedin i won't post about it but it's just that personal satisfaction of knowing you've helped that person succeed and i think that's one of the reasons a lot of people get into no i think that's um, a great point and a great learning for for all early stage managers and and later stage managers as well that, that, that maybe uh are struggling to do that mm-hmm. okay so final question then Taz yeah. and this is the final question we ask everybody uh, and it's open to interpretation but looking back at your career uh, as a manager and as a leader can you name and talk to us about one event that had the biggest impact one event that had the biggest impact oh that's a that's a that's a stumping question one event that had the biggest impact I think I genuinely think it was it, it, it was realizing that the team had actually started to perform mm-hmm and that, that, that justification, I think one of the biggest things you get as a leader is imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And however, however much your manager says you're doing fine, you're doing a great job, it's all going really well. Hopefully other managers will relate to this. There's that penny drop moment in, in your journey as a manager where your team starts coming to you for advice. It's the team's initiative, not your initiative. And all of a sudden the tables have turned mm-hmm. and they're, they're talking to you more openly about their deals. They're getting you on their calls. They're performing. They're closing deals at a rate of knots. They're working together. They're gelling as an organization and as a team. And, and that, for me, had the biggest impact because it, it, it reaffirmed to me that I was doing the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it stopped me feeling like that imposter. It stopped me feeling like 
this super AE or this the sales guy masquerading as a manager. Um, and I think you can be the most confident person in the world, but if you don't have periods of doubt, if you don't have periods of what am I doing? What have I did I just tell that person to do that? Oh gosh, I think I've given them the wrong advice. If, if you've never had a feeling like that in your career as a manager, I think you're lying to yourself. And I think mm. for me that that had the biggest impact because it was that 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 reinforcement that it is working, but also that 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 reinforcement that actually you're doing the right stuff, keep doing it and keep supporting these people. So that was, yeah, in a leadership context, probably one of the biggest and most significant things. I think one of the biggest challenges there as well is that typically those sorts of things don't happen overnight. No. They are gradual processes yeah. that slowly improve and slowly iterate. And because you're in the trenches every day and you're looking at every day, you maybe don't recognise the improvement that is being made. Are you doing anything to help you reflect on the improvement you've made as a team or anything that you do to actually recognise the success that you, you are having? I always keep a note of it. I, I started journaling and, and just, you know, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a really exciting read. But if there's an idea or if there's a process in place, I, I do make a note of it. I, I keep a little note in my, my notes mm. app on my computer and I track to that as well. So if, if, for example, I've had a war room and we've come up with a really quite creative way to engage with a senior stakeholder in the business, I'll write that down because I think we could probably repeat it and we can use it. And I think actually the measurement and, and the way that you should track your successes as a manager really depends on how you set your OKRs or what your actual goals are. And whether or not some businesses don't have QBRs, but do make a point with your line manager of saying, this is my focus for this month. This is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. This is the status, or this is what I'm trying to work towards. Because again, from a, a career progression point of view, hitting your number is great. But again, it's that data piece, right? Mm -hmm. What were the things that you did in order to achieve that? What were the things that you put in place or you implemented that directly impacted your close rates or directly impacted your attainment to that number. I like to reflect. I, I discuss it with my mentor. I keep my little note of, of things that I do. But again, it's not something I did. It's, um, it's something I've done actually relatively recently in, in, mm -hmm. in my career as a manager because I, I did have a promotion conversation and I didn't have the data. And, and that was a big learn for me. A huge thank you for Taz for today's interview. I loved how he shared about building team identity and culture in order to unite people and get the best from them. As mentioned at the start of this podcast, make sure you go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up for our peer learning community. There you'll be able to watch the video interview of Taz's conversation today. You'll be able to pick up all the resources associated with what he spoke about, including guidance, template and a written learning summary. Finally, you'll be able to join the community discussion where you can interact with other community members. You can also access the full library and archive of all manager interview insights. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation, but as always, you go and take action.